G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast. And the off-season has been a lot shorter than I realized and the NBL season has snuck up on me. So I've really scrambled for this one, but we've got our tried and tested guest from the pick and roll, Michael Hoobin back. How are you? I'm really good. Always uh, ready to jump in there and, and talk some NBL hoops. Yeah, there's no no real, you know, lead time needed, no imitation. Let's just talk hoops, eh? <laughs> That's it. But you're right. It has come up really quickly. I think um, it's snuck up on everybody and um, for it to start this weekend is really exciting. We obviously have known what the rosters have looked like for a while. We've seen the, the blitz and all the preseason come to pass. And I guess now we'll see if that stuff translates to the real thing. Yeah, exactly. It has kind of snuck up. It feels like two weeks ago that um, the Kings and Jack Jumpers were in the finals. And then, you know, it, it hasn't been a, a an off-season short of activity. Obviously, we've had all the free agency stuff and then the Blitz, the preseason, and even, you know, the Women's World Cup happening as well. So we haven't exactly been starved of content and starved of basketball. But yeah, it's still kind of, you know, just snuck up out of nowhere. Yeah, it's almost overwhelming as well because I love to take in the NBA preseason media day, all of that business as well. And yeah, at pretty much the exact same time. It goes from um, radio silence to just information overload. Yeah, it's it's an all-out media blitzkrieg, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think well, before we actually get into the NBA, I might as well just touch quickly on the Women's World Cup because I think you know, it'd be remiss of me not to at least mention it. Australia in the semifinals against China. Um, looking pretty strong after a shaky start. Yeah, it's coming together for them all. Obviously, we always have a very talented squad um, that we put out there, and I think they took a little while to find their feet, but it's all coming together. And, um, I mean, even, you know, China's been playing some fantastic basketball as well. That was great. Uh, but, yeah, look, I, I feel pretty optimistic about our chances. I think they're, they're on track. It always helps to be able to just bring back the goat, doesn't it? Oh, it's so handy, isn't it? And, and how um, sentimental as well. It's just incredible to see her out there and, and still doing her thing. Obviously, after such a long time off, you know, one of the greatest... I mean, definitely the the greatest Australian basketball player of all time. Um, you know, her accolades are second to none. And and to watch her, you know, these things don't pass even after so much time away from the game. We saw her dominate the NBA one competition while she um participated in that. And you know, what an amazing comeback story to be able to be a part of this um Opal squad and and to contribute as well. Fantastic. It's not often you get to play in a competition for a team where the stadium is named after you. <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe that was the long game with her she retired <laughs> got all the um the cred and then she gets to jump in, back in her own building and uh remind people of why uh it's her namesake it, she still carries that i guess that aura on the court even like i was watching last night against uh belgium and you could just hear her yell out foul and the ref's like oh yeah you know what that is a foul actually yeah sorry miss jackson <laughs> yeah that doesn't go away and she always draws an incredible crowd response as well obviously um you know her reputation precedes her and people are so stoked to see her out playing uh and i think that it's just amazing as well i think of lauren i think of andrew gaze and just the fact that the the, the two goats of australian basketball and our ambassadors mm-hmm. for our game are such uh humble people and and come across so unknowing almost you know they're you know they're just your average joe at the end of the day um but they've done incredible things on the court and i think that's like how we we like to personify uh our our basketball culture here in australia yeah exactly right um the the flip side of i guess all the um 
the happiness of Lauren Jackson returning. Obviously, Beck Allen, her injury, she gave it a go last night. Didn't, didn't last long, didn't look great. Probably won't feature the rest of the tournament, you'd think. It's it's a shame because she's been fantastic. And, you know, I think the, the team's really going to miss her shot creation and some of the things she brings to the team. But, you know, it's next man up mentality. That's how we do it with the national team. And hopefully she heals up again soon. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame because I actually thought she was probably a bit disappointing in the Olympics and then she's really bounced back. And then, yeah, obviously, yeah, it is next man up. And I think people like, you know, Wallace and Magin and Blitzarves getting those minutes and they've really stepped up. Blitzarves, especially last night, was awesome. Yeah, she, she definitely was. And I think that's one of the uh, characteristics of this team is that it's extremely deep. You know, the, we have so many fantastic female players uh, out of Australia. And I, I think, you know, we're very well equipped to handle um, absences like that. Prediction for the China game? Oh, you, you got to go for Australia, right? I think we, we'll, we'll, we'll handle it by 10. How's that okay, sound? it was more of a margin. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think you were going to pick China, so... <laughs> No, t- 10 seems pretty reasonable. What, what are you thinking? Well, China's the best defensive team in the comp, right? So Australia have had these little periods where they do sometimes struggle to put the ball in the basket, which is kind of the whole point of the game. But overcoming that, I'm going to say Australia by seven. Yeah, I like that. It's pretty reasonable. China are definitely no pushover. They've been fantastic this tournament. Yeah, they, they absolutely swarmed France in the bits of that game I caught. So, yeah, it should be a good matchup. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's pivot to the NBL. Obviously, the season starts tomorrow at the time of recording. Um, bit odd for a Saturday start, but I guess that's the way that it's worked with the World Cup. So what I was thinking is we'll just go a bit of a team-by-team some key questions from the reverse order of the ladder last year, starting with the breakers. Obviously they had a really tough season last year away from home for the whole time. Retooled, got some, uh, the better locals back to New Zealand. And obviously I think the big part for the breakers is they actually get to play in New Zealand this year. It's a, it's a massive factor. And I think, you know, it's easy for us to forget sometimes what, you know, they've had to deal with off the court and, you know, it's very hard to put yourself in those shoes and imagine how that could have impacted the team and their performance over the last couple of years. So very happy for them to to be back at home and being playing in front of their fans. I'm sure that'll have an immense impact for them. And that's not the only change. You know, they have had a complete retool of the team and their identity. Obviously, Coach Modi taking over from Dan Shamir. He comes with his own characteristics, his own personality, his own methodologies on you know coaching the team and while there are some remaining parts they have had a lot of turnover so it'll Mm. be interesting to see how some of these new imports fare they're obviously handing the keys to will mcdowell white which will be a massive key to the season as well how he goes and then the next star ryan repair i think he's been super interesting as well had a great preseason. so there's a lot of different things that could work well there a lot of question marks a lot of new things uh and while I think the bar was pretty low based on last season. I think they're going to have to prove every step of the way this season. You know, they're a team that I I feel at least offensively don't have the same firepower as some of the other teams in this competition. But it's clear that Modi has put an emphasis on toughness and defense and having a really strong identity on that end of the court. And I think they have the personnel to really be one of the top defensive teams in the league. It seems to me like a team that's built to play fast and play intense, right? 
you know, bringing in guys like Leafa Vadanovic, the imports they've got, Ryan Repair as well, and and pretty much handing everything over to McDowell White, like you said. If nothing else, this team is going to at least play fast. I think they're going to have to play fast. I think that's the only way that they're going to have a competent offense. Um, and look, you know, we say defense wins championships. Obviously, you have to play on both ends of the floor, but you know, there is a there is a threshold you have to meet, you know, on both ends of the floor. If they want to be a strong defensive team, they're going to have to get out in transition. They're going to have to get those easy points because they don't necessarily have the same level of shot creation that a lot of other teams do. You look at their imports like Brantley and Pardon in the front court. They're not necessarily high-volume offensive guys. They're more bruisers inside. Obviously, Ryan Repair may be somewhat limited in terms of being a 3 and D guy offensively. So they're going to have to lean a lot on McDowell White to do a lot of creation. Brown is obviously the other import in the backcourt, and he's somewhat unproven in a sense. They feel that there's some untapped potential there, and he's going to get the green light as well to be able to put some shots up in the half court. I'm I'm curious to see how the half court offense is going to go. I have some skepticism about that, but if they can get out and run, and they do have some shooters on the bench as well to help them run a gun a little bit more, but they will have to push the tempo to, you know, alleviate some of those offensive concerns. And obviously Brown is injured for, or he's injured at the moment. They've signed an injury replacement, which funnily enough is one of their imports brothers, Jamal Brantley. That That's surely never happened before, right? Two imports that are related on the same that's team. Awfully convenient, didn't it? Yeah, no, it's definitely a um a case of who was expedient to bring in, I think. And um, yeah. Brantley was uh, with his brother at the time, but um, I don't think we'll see too much of him. I think that's very much a stopgap, and they'll be praying that uh, Brown is back sooner rather than later. Yeah, so Brown, it's he's got a foot injury, and that, all the reporting sounded like it was relatively minor. But foot injuries are always a bit of a, you know, a Pandora's box. Yeah, you never know. Those are the sort of things that can linger, especially if you try to come back from it too soon. Uh, so I, th- I think it's really important that the breakers make sure he's at a hundred percent before he comes back, because if he's out for an extended period of time, then they're really going to dig themselves into a hole. This is a short NBL season. You need to make sure you don't start on the back foot. Um, and he's going to be a pivotal part, as I said, to that offensive side of the ball in particular for them, um, in terms of just keeping them afloat, scoring the ball. Now, I think a really important part of the breakers that might, that's not necessarily on the court, but obviously the last, you know, the better part of three seasons, two, three seasons, they've been stationed in Australia. And I think it was really good of them to target these guys like Liafa and Vodanovic um, as almost like a reconnection back to New Zealand, if you get what I mean. Yeah, it's always promising to see. We know the Breakers, within their longer history, have had a really rich uh, background of having Kiwi players. That's maybe something they went away from a little bit within the last few seasons. And they have had players from New Zealand on the team, but I think the identity of the team felt like it had drifted a little bit away from the grassroots. Obviously, Dan Shamir and Modi come in with a bit more of an international flavour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that has its positives as well. I think they've been able to bring in some different philosophies and some some different talent from all around the world, really. Uh, but the fact that they have 
rekindled that emphasis on local talent, I think is really important for their identity, for the team and their fans to get around them. Um, and in, in particular, now that they actually are back at home, I think that's really important. I saw someone mention that over the last few years with New Zealand being in Australia, it's almost like those players were not playing for anybody in particular. It was just, you know, just a coddled team of players that got, you know, put together and asked to play, but they, they sort of lacked that identity and that drive from the community to really spur them on. And I think being able to be back at home, be able to have some of those players like Liafa, like Vidanovic, back in the squad, Dan Foto as well as another guy that got signed uh, from college. They have that identity there and and now they'll be able to play for their um their fans back at home. It'll be great. Is is Foto related to Isaac, the Hawaii I believe, Hawaii? Sorry, yeah, I believe he's his younger brother. He he played at St. Mary's a little bit smaller than Isaac. Obviously Isaac has had a fantastic career overseas in Asia, in Europe. He's a slightly different player, more of a three four. Uh, he, he's probably on the fringes of the rotation right now, but he does have a bright future. I think he's going to be a, a really good NBL player for the Breakers, if yeah. not this season, in the next couple of seasons to come. Now, it was also a good point you brought up about the, the community, and I think um, it's a similar issue to what the New Zealand Warriors have faced in the NRL, and they're obviously back in New Zealand from next year as well. But there's just almost that, like the, you're playing in front of, at best, neutral venues every week, and there's just no real... Like you're almost like a sideshow in town, right? So it'll be interesting to see how they drive forward. Um, kind of on the back foot already to start the season with injuries to Brown and Tom Abercrombie with his torn torn retina. The Breakers don't do well with eye injuries, do we? Like you see, go back a few years to Akil Mitchell as well. Oh, I, honestly, I hadn't thought about that Akil Mitchell injury in years, and then when this <laughs> Abercrombie news came up. I didn't even have to YouTube it. It just was etched into the back of my brain somewhere in the subconscious. Uh, and it it scarred me all over again just reading <laughs> that. That was brutal. I, I'm trying to... I don't think I've actually ever seen the, the footage of Akil's injury. And quite frankly, when I heard about it, I didn't really want to. Um, you tempted. <laughs> nah, no, nah, no. Nah. I can do certain things, but that sounds just grotty. Um Lastly, for actually two more points. One, Cam Glidden was kind of an odd signing when it came out going to the Breakers, but you know, surely he'll be able to help given that limited shot creation elsewhere. It did feel really random, didn't it? You don't see a lot of Australian locals sign. Established Australian locals anyway. That's right, especially coming from Southeast Melbourne. It did feel a little bit odd, but I think the Breakers must have really prioritised him in his recruitment. I feel like one of the reasons for that may have been that they were really stressed for the need for some additional shooting. Now, that's my number one concern with with the breakers in the half court here is that within that starting lineup, there's not a whole lot of spacing, especially with the sort of two big lineup that they're running with. Brantley, as I said, is kind of a bit of an old school four in a way. He, you know, doesn't have a massive presence out on the perimeter. So they're looking for guys like Glidden, guys like Liafa, guys like Vodanovic and Lowe to help stretch that floor. Now, whether that works or not, I'm curious because you can't sort of, you can't have your starting five and have those issues and try and remedy some issues within your spacing and things like that by adding sixth, seventh, eighth guys to the rotation because they're not going to play to the same extent that those other guys are. So I think it's going to be beneficial for the team. I think 
getting a shooter was a, a prudent decision. Um, but I'd still like to have seen a little bit more shooting in that starting lineup. And and lastly, I feel like we've dragged on a bit for the breakers, but Ryan Repair, obviously their next star, another Frenchman, that's kind of their pipeline now. Do you think he's more or less professional ready than someone like Usman Jiang last year? It's a really interesting question. I think it's hard to answer because they're, they're different players. Um, they, they play a very different way. I think Usman was clearly struggling at the start of last season even though you could identify his skill set and say that it was more unique and presented more NBA upside I think Rupert is more ready to contribute within his skill set at the start of this season and the reason I say that is he's already shooting the ball at a high level we've seen him shoot especially well at the blitz and the form looks great he defensively is ready to go he's got that incredibly long wingspan super disruptive on and off the ball and he's not going to get asked to do too much more. You know, that's going to be his role in the team. He's not going to be asked to shoulder too much pick and roll action or on ball creation. Uh, you know, he, he's just there to hit the open three and to play defense. And I think he's ready to do that, particularly from day one. Whereas it took Usman a little while to get going and start to show those flashes of brilliance that he did towards the back end of last year. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the Cairns Taipans. Now, they... I think had a pretty interesting off season. I think when I look at the Cairns team from last year, I had pretty much resigned myself to Taji McCall not coming back just because I thought he probably outplayed any realistic chance of Cairns bringing him back. And that's not necessarily a shot at Cairns. It's just the realities of a, their financial limitations and B just, you know, being priced out by maybe a European team. So really good to see him back. I think first of all, it's probably the best lead off. Taj is really good. He's a fantastic import in this league. I think we saw glimpses of his full potential last season, but it was somewhat uh, murkied by the fact that he was trying to coexist with Machado coming in and out of the lineup. Well, he was trying to be Machado as well as himself, really, for most of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've we've seen Cairns go in a really clear direction here. You know, they had Machado, obviously a guy that has spent a few seasons with the Taipans and you know, is really well appreciated over his time with the team, but, um, you know, injuries caught up to him. It's getting a little bit slower, a little bit older, and they just decided to go all in on Taj, you know, throw the bag at him, I'm sure, and mm-hmm. just build this whole team around him. Now, in terms of style, I think it works fantastically. They've got surrounded him with, you know, an abundance of shooters, so many high-level shooters, uh, you've got athletic rim runners at the five as well, Keanu Pinder, Sam Wardenberg. And it's basically put the ball in Taj's hands, let him create, and we're going to go to work. Now, will that work effectively? I don't know. Taj had his moments where he was brilliant on the ball. You know, we could see some real dynamism with him creating off the dribble, making flashy plays for himself and others. But he was also really turnover prone. And that was my concern about putting the ball in his hands. So, It's going to be the big question mark for him this year. Can he look after the ball? Can he make plays for others without being too risky and turning the ball over too much? I think that's the big question mark for me. I look at Kansas' makeup right now, and I wonder what, I guess, the role is for someone like Shannon Scott, because I imagine the starting backcourt is probably still going to be McCall and and Bull Quoll, right? So you'd read up a little bit on Scott, and he's sort of an uninspiring sounding import. You know, career G-leaguer, he's played in... Puerto Rican league. He had a, a pretty good solid college career, but nothing too special. 
So I wonder if he, like, you know, what his role is going to be. Is he just going to be that steadying actual point guard next to McCall as he come off the bench? Like, what's the go there? It was really a surprising pickup. I think if you look at Scott in a vacuum, he's not an NBL level import. Now, obviously, Adam Ford has justified the signing saying that they were looking for a little bit more leadership. They didn't need a high-volume guy because they're putting the ball in Taj's hands. And there's a lot of merit to all that he's saying. I think Scott clearly has a reputation as someone that can run a team, someone that can take care of the ball, and you know, someone that presumably is a, a sound leader. Um, and all those things are great qualities and a little bit less tangible for you know people like us just watching off a screen or in the stands. Um, so there may be value there, but with that being said, a smaller market team, a smaller budget team like Cairns, we look at a team like that and we think, man, just on a talent basis, they have to hit on three high-level imports, and Scott clearly isn't that. So whether he's starting, whether he's coming off the bench, I think probably makes the most sense for them to bring him off the bench, uh, you know, have Taj, have Bull Kowal, as you were saying, and Scott can run that second unit. But I still don't think that the qualities that they're suggesting that Scott has makes up for the talent deficiency. I think they'd be better served to have another creator, another shooter, someone that can work off of Taj, but also just add a little bit more firepower as well. You know, because Scott is a low volume player. I think in Germany last season, he might have averaged like three or four points a game. He was not a high volume player. Um, And for all the other qualities they may bring to the table, I think, that might be something that they assess throughout the season and, and maybe look in a different direction depending on how that pans out. Uh, the other import, though, DJ Hogg, I've heard nothing but good things about him. Oh, fantastic. Obviously, he's come from a couple of different stints. He, he spent some time in France and had a strong college career. He's someone that combines shooting. As, as I said, most of this roster fantastic shooters but he has a little bit of diversity in his offensive game and he has great size at 6'8 as well. He's someone that can play the three. He can also play the four. The Taipans are playing pretty small this year. Pinder and Wardenberg are going to be their fives, I believe. Um, you know, those guys are black 6'9", 6'10". Obviously very long and athletic, but this is a team that's going to get up and down and, and shoot the ball a lot. And um, they're going to benefit from a space floor. And DJ at the four particularly... It's going to be a big part of playing that sort of four-out uh, game that you know Adam Ford's really looking at. Does Hogg strike you as a bit of a Robert Franks type? Then he does share a lot of similarities. Yeah, I think the only potential deficiency you could point out in Hogg's game, and I don't think that we've necessarily seen it so far in the preseason with the Blitz, is he's not the most physical player. He's a little bit soft in some senses, and it'll be interesting to see if that. Uh, proves to be a problem in the NBL. I think it'll be less of a problem in the NBL, to be honest. But as I said, so many strong qualities. Just like Franks, he can handle the ball. He can bring it down. He can shoot it from three. It's almost like a guard in a in a big's body. So um, I think he can have a similar impact to Franks. Obviously, Franks had a great year. Hogg is going to be a potential NBL first or second team, in my opinion. And you mentioned before the guys like Jonah Antonio, Sam Wardenberg, two really in-demand college products, local college products coming back to the league and Cairns snagging them both. We know Wardenberg is probably going to start. 
or at least play, you know, big minutes for this Cairns team. Antonio's kind of an unknown, I guess, compared to that. Yeah, Antonio's an interesting one. He's had a very uh, unusual path to the NBL. He spent time at college at a whole bunch of different levels, transferred many times, really struggled to find his niche a little bit in the college system. But there's one thing he did really well consistently throughout all of his stints, and that was shoot the ball. He is a sensational shooter. Uh, Not just a spot-up shooter, but a guy that can really run off screens. You would have seen in the Blitz, he just has this fantastically quick trigger release. It's so aesthetic to the eye. (laughs) And he's such a specialist uh, that if you actually look at his statistics within college... He's someone that would rarely put up a two-point field goal. He's someone that lives almost exclusively behind the arc. And I think it's a good thing. I think it shows that he knows where his strengths lie. He's clearly not afraid to pull the trigger. You know, if he's sitting on that three-point line, it's going up. And he also had a short stint post-college playing in the Czech NBL. And he was he was solid in that league. I was surprised that he didn't come straight from college to the NBL. But he has his chance now. I think that... Adam Ford has a great idea of how to utilize him. He's obviously prioritizing shooting on the perimeter. And I think he's going to be really valuable and, and fun role player for this tight man's team. And with all these guys coming in, what do you reckon a role for someone like Majuk Dang is going to be then? Obviously a proven NBL swing forward. It'll be interesting to see how much Deng is used throughout the year. Obviously, we know that he is an incredibly talented offensive player got some sensational tools. I think that he's going to play the four uh, next to Hogg when Hogg's playing at the three. Uh, but in particular, I think the focus is going to be on Hogg and Deng, maybe a bit of Wardenberg as well, covering all those power forward minutes. And when they're doing that, you have three-point shooting and not just, you know, passable three-point shooting, but these guys are all really good shooters at that four spot. It means that the court's going to be really spaced. It's going to give Taj McCall a lot of room to work and create for himself. Um, and as I said, it's going to result in a really fun up-tempo running gun team. Yeah, I wonder, like, there seems to be a lot of, I guess, what you would call switchability with this Cairns lineup. And the other part of that is obviously Keanu Pinder coming off a most improved season. And he's just another part of this, you know, this jackknife collection of forwards that Cairns have. It, you're right, it is super switchable. And I think that's why it's so hard to figure out just exactly what Adam Ford is doing because he has all these players that can play all these different positions. Uh, you know, obviously Taj is kind of playing like a point forward. Scott, you know, will play off the ball a little bit more as well. And then you've got guys like Pinder, Wardenberg that, you know, you wonder, are those guys going to play together? Are they going to play smaller? There's so many different variations that Ford can run with. And throughout the Blitz, we didn't even get to see much of it because a lot of the guys were out of the lineup. It was reported that Ford was holding back a lot of his plays and different things that they were going to pull out during the regular season. So there's still a lot of question marks about exactly how this team's going to operate. Yeah, right. Um, Okay, let's roll up ladder to number eight. The very, very disappointing Brisbane Bullets from a year ago, but boy, have they made a splash. I feel like... No team is being talked more than the Brisbane Bullets right now. Everyone's hyping them up. Obviously, there's a lot of name power behind this roster. You've got Tyler Johnson. You've got Aaron Baines. Guys with a lot of NBA experience. 
and look, I think the upside's there. I think it's justified. I think it's really exciting to see those names in the league. But I'm equally as wary of how the health's going to play out, how much they're going to have an impact throughout the entirety of the season. Um, I, I feel like it's a team that has a lot of variance in outcomes this year. Oh, absolutely. And I look at this Bullets lineup and this roster, and behind Johnson, Baines, and Sobe, like, it, it doesn't fill me with tremendous confidence. Like, it seems to be maybe high floor, low ceiling. Like, you kind of know what it, you're going to get and what, you know, it, it seems like they're going to rely a lot on these top three guys to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Like, they've got a lot of proven NBL quality players like your Jason Cadiz, your um, Harry Froling returns. But, like, up and down the roster, it's just a, it's a bunch of dudes, really. <laughs> it, it is a bunch of dudes. And I think it's doesn't... I mean, the way you just said it, it says a lot. I think for a team where its star players are going to be so heavily relied upon, you don't want those guys to be injury-prone. I think a couple of um, injuries here and there throughout the season could spell a little bit of disaster for them if it, things don't pan out the right way. I don't think there's a ton of depth. I, it's actually a little bit better than I thought it would be. I was pretty concerned about it going into the season. We saw in the Blitz that some guys stepped up to the plate a little bit. Tanner Krebs is yes. finally looking like that guy that you know he's been displaying here in NBL 1 for the last few seasons. I think he's going to be able to step in and provide some valuable minutes this year. Cody Statman is serviceable. He's a young player. Um, he might be able to do some things. Harry Froling, we know what he brings to the table at this point. He has lots of pros and lots of cons, but ultimately he's someone that, you know, is a rotation player in this league. And even a guy like Gorjok Gak, who's probably like the third string center on this team, ultimately, uh, he, he displayed some great things as well. He's a guy pretty much with the same dimensions as a guy like Joe Lawala Chul. He's, I think he's 6'11 with a 7'4 wingspan. So he's super long. He can block shots. We saw some great passing from him as well. So I think there are elements of depth to the team. But I totally agree that there's too much of a burden placed on these veteran guys. And if those guys at any point in the season have to go in and out, I think Brisbane Bullets are going to struggle to win some games. You mentioned one of the guys that I'm about to bring up, but I'm really curious to see two of these more unknown wing players in Cody Statman and DJ Mitchell. Um, you know, Mitchell, obviously the son of a former import back in the day, Statman coming off a pretty good career at you know, at Virginia, so not exactly a small-time school. Um, but I guess th- those points of difference are c- going to be what determines, you know, just how deep Brisbane can go this season. Yeah, both those guys have a lot of talent. I think DJ Mitchell in particular is a guy that I am really excited about. Uh, we did some NBL predictions for the NBL recently, and you had to to list your surprise packet for the season. And most people chose a team or, you know, a particular star player like Baines or, or something like that. And I actually went with something really obscure. I went with DJ Mitchell because I think he's going to come out of the gates. Not, you know, none of us really know too much about him, but he's really talented. Like he's six foot eight, can play above the rim, can shoot it really well. Someone that can play at either forward position. And I think he's actually in line for a really big role with Brisbane this year because you have... Tyler at the one, Sobey at the two, or vice versa. They're pretty interchangeable. Devondrick Walker at the three, Baines at the five. I think your answer at the four there is DJ Mitchell. I would envision him starting. 
And I think he's going to be a great fit there as well. He's someone with that big body to defend fours, but still play that modern game out on the perimeter. I think he's very easy to slot in around other talent because of his athleticism and his three-point shooting. Um, and yeah, I think he's going to, I would envision him playing like 25 minutes a game. I think he's going to be a really effective role player for them. And we're going to see lots of highlights out of him throughout the season. As for Cody Statman, he's younger. He did play at Virginia, which goes to show the talent that they saw in him. He did struggle a lot in his time at Virginia, but it's worth noting that Virginia are a really tough college team to play for. Obviously, they're really talented um, and it's hard to crack the rotation, but some guys just aren't suited to that style and, and how they play over there. So I wouldn't read too much into that. He obviously came back to NBL one and showed some exciting things. Really big for a guard. He's like six foot seven, really long, can shoot the three a little bit sporadically at this point, but he can definitely shoot it. Um, and while I don't think he's probably within that top eight or so players in the rotation, he is going to get his opportunities. And I think he will show flashes of, of great things for the Bulls this year. Now, we know what we're going to get with Sobi. We pretty much know what we're going to get with someone like Aaron Baines, you know, the rest of this roster. But Tyler Johnson, you, you, there's a few, I guess, um, horror stories of really big name imports coming to the league and just for whatever reason, they're not it. I feel like we've probably moved past that stage now, but boy, I'm I'm both really excited and like not hesitant, but wary because injury history aside, he's a very volatile type of player, like very violent in how he attacks the ring. His shooting comes and goes from his time at Miami and, you know, whatever he did later on in his career, you know, Phoenix, et cetera, Brooklyn. Um, I just wonder maybe whether the lack of what I would call a, a proper point guard in that projected starting lineup would hurt them, though. I'm concerned about that as well. I think we've had the Nathan Sobey point guard experiment on and off for the last few years. I think we... I I, I feel pretty strongly that Sobey is best suited at the two. Uh, and while it is encouraging that they were able to get another import in the backcourt to coexist with him, Tyler Johnson is a scoring guard. He's not a point guard per se. So it'll be interesting to see how their roles look next to each other. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there is definitely some concern about how exactly Johnson is. I just don't think we have a very recent sample size to go off of. Uh, it's never too encouraging when guys have fallen out of the league due to injury. I think it's much more encouraging to get guys and imports in the NBL that are on the come up rather than on the come down. But uh, Tyler's a guy we know if he's semi-healthy, which he claims to be, then, you know, the upside's there. We know what he's capable of in the NBA. He wasn't just a fringe NBA guy. He was a like a really strong rotation player. I'm sure he started some games over his time as well. So if he's able to even scratch the surface of what he's capable of there, then the Brisbane Bullets have... Definitely leaned into best player available versus best fit. Um, and it could work. I have no doubt about that. Yeah. So he started uh, 39 games in the 17, 18 season. And Johnson also, a bit of trivia, was one of those guys who signed, I forget what the actual contract provision is called, but he got a four year, $50 million deal from Brooklyn, which Miami matched. But because it might even be Arenas, it's either Arenas or Poison Pill, one of the two. And he um that he can only get paid five million the first two years and then twenty mil the other two years. So he just you know, a bit of odd trivia there. 
the way that contract worked. You don't hear many contracts backloaded that way. That's pretty impressive. Uh, it wasn't a backload. It was it was because he was a second round pick, restricted free agent. There was some weird uh, like CBA black magic around it. I'm not entirely sure. You know, it's five years ago now, but I remember. Yeah. It's, anyway, not the point. Even um, that though, fifty million dollar contract, it goes to show like this guy was not an insignificant NBA name. This well, is a guy yeah. That- and look, five years is a long time, you know, to, to have picked up that contract. You can be a totally different player by now, but... You can get a lot um, of injuries in five years. Yeah, definitely. But even in the preseason, he's looked pretty good. I think he's finding his feet a little bit, but we're seeing that he has the makings of a successful NBL import for sure. Uh, and one more, you mentioned before, Tanner Krebs looking like he's coming along really well from the Blitz. I think he's going to be in for a big year as well because he's probably that key reserve, right? He's that guy that they they need to hit his stride, need him to hit his stride this season. Um, it's been a couple of seasons coming. He had a strong college career, shot the three really efficiently throughout college, and we haven't really seen that translate just yet at the NBL level. Um, he's sort of diversified his offensive game a little bit. He's handled it a bit more, driven in a little bit more. But now's the time. We've seen him play fantastically like a star in the NBL 1 competition. Obviously, it's a totally different level, but he's going to be essentially like their third wing at this point. And um, they're really going to need him to step up and, and play a valuable, at minimum, 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. Okay, let's go up to seventh from last year. And I think when you talk about uh, really showing up to a dick measuring contest, the Adelaide 36ers have certainly done that. <laughs> well, I think... I really like their approach. Now, obviously, that being able to do what they did this offseason is contingent on having the funds and being able to allocate them appropriately. But there's no safer option than stealing everyone else's success. (laughs) So, look, kudos to them. I don't know that it's necessarily a perfect fit in some regards, but there's no arguing that Antonius Cleveland is a gun. Robert Franks is a gun. And adding those guys to... What really was always a reasonable local core um, is going to make the world a difference because Adelaide really had no import power last season at all. No, very, very disappointing season from Dusty Hannah's, Todd Withers, and the third one escapes me if they even had a third one. I don't believe they even had a third one. So, I mean, you take Dusty, who I think was coming off the bench most of the year, and it's not to say that he was a bad player, but I don't think he really fit with what they were doing. I don't think it was what CJ was after. And uh, Todd Withers, I mean, Dusty picks up most of the backlash from that season, but I think Todd Withers was barely more effective that season as well. So between the two of them, it's just, you just can't expect to succeed with that level of import production. And No, and, I, and I'd seen what Withers was, like I've seen Withers play before and I know what he can do. So yeah, that like he's a lot better than whatever the shell he was last year. Yeah, he, he had a really good reputation coming in. I think one of the problems I had last year with Adelaide is that they didn't have the right creation. You know, you, you look at guys like Sunday Deck, uh, Anthony Drumick, Mitch McCarron, all these guys are great role players, but then their imports were role players as well. Todd yep. Withers is not a guy that's going to create for himself. And Dusty Hannah's great shooter, but he's not an off-the-dribble athletic shot creator uh he's a shooter more than anything and i think that's where the team and the the makeup of that roster really failed everybody in a sense that season now 
they've they've swung the pendulum all the other way this season. They've got a lot of guys that can create for themselves. I think if anything, they've got um, too many cooks in the kitchen, but that's a good problem to have. Yeah, and like we don't need to spend too much time talking about Robert Franks and Antonis Cleveland because we know what they can do. But the third import, Craig Randall, the second, a bit more unknown. Yeah, he's someone that doesn't have a strong sample size behind him. Uh, you know, he sat out the year before last and then he catapulted his way into the G League and was one of the best scorers in the whole league. Now, it looks really great on paper. The question is how sustainable was that production? Um, especially because his college output, you you wouldn't expect what he did in the G League based on what he'd done prior in his career. So that's where the question marks come from. Now, he's the type of player, to me, he reminds me in many ways of someone like a Tyler Harvey. And the reason that I say that is because their shot profile comes a lot from tough shots. I don't know if you've seen much of his play during the blitz but he's a guy that likes to create for himself he's got a whole bag of tricks um but it's a lot of off the dribble shooting on the perimeter and that's that can be really volatile one of those no 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 yes players absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and you know it's great adelaide need one of those guys that can create off the dribble that's what they definitely needed last season um but i think there's going to be games where you sort of go oh you know is this guy taking more than he's giving a little bit here. You know, we've got plenty of other options at this point that we could go to, um, but there's going to be games where he's just going to go off as well. And I think as a third import, given how reputable the the other two in Cleveland and Franks are, I think you can live with that from your third import. I think it's not going to be an issue. And I think he's a really talented third import to have. Yeah. And I'm just looking down this roster now. The, the locals are all pretty settled. I just wonder... Um, who, who I guess does get the start alongside Mitch McCarron because maybe Cleveland and Randall make someone like Sunday Deck, you know, sort of redundant in that starting lineup. Yeah, I feel like there's a few different ways you could slice it. I think you could have, you could even have Randall as your sixth man if you wanted a bit more creation in your second unit. Um, but ultimately, I think they're going to go with maybe McCarron, Randall, Cleveland. And then you could go with, Franks and Johnson in the front court, perhaps. Yeah, like I, I was kind of approaching that with the, you know, do they just, you know, load up their starting lineup with a bit of defense? And then you look at that bench. Maybe they want a bit more of a settled bench. I don't know. I don't know if Randall is much of a facilitator. And that's probably what guys like Drimmick and, you know, Kai Soto and all, and all those guys on the bench need. So, um, Soto's an interesting one as well coming back. I think he was always going to come back for a second season, but I think he showed a lot at the end of last year that you go, all right, there's actually, he, he's a bit more than a, a victory cigar. You know, we can actually work with him now. He can be a, a really key part of the rotation. Yeah, I, th- I think if you look past the really polarizing discourse around Kai Soto, because, you know, you're either a Filipino who thinks he's the next uh, Porzingis <laughs> or, um, you know, you're an NBL fan that thinks, oh, this guy's just, you know, a gimmick. Yeah. Um, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I think he was a good young player. Um, now, I also think that Daniel Johnson still has a lot to give, but I think he's on the on the down a little bit, you know, just in terms of age. And there's going to be room for Kai Soto to grow into a little bit more role there. Um Likewise, Kyron Galloway, I think he's someone that can play at the five and provide some minutes as well. 
Um, so between the two of them, I think they're both set for a little bit of an increase in role. Um, but yeah, Soto brings plenty to the table. Obviously, the big Achilles heel is the pick and roll defenses. You, you're never going to be super mobile at seven foot two, seven foot three. No. Um, but you know, lots of other appeal there. You know, he's a guy that has been finishing above the rim, blocking shots. You know, there, there's plenty of things that he can contribute to this 36ers roster. And I, I just find him really fun. He has plenty of highlights and, um, you know, the NBL will be sure to feed them to you when he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's he's going to be a piece for this team. Yeah, and you actually stole my last point, which was about how I really liked the signing of Kyron Galloway. So, yeah, Kyron's really nice. Someone that can play the four and the five. Just that size and length combined with the shooting is enough in itself. Um, again, interested to see just where he fits into this 36ers team because it is very deep. Um, I hope he gets enough run. Because, you know, I think he's a really promising young player. Now, moving on to a perpetually disappointing franchise. <laughs> the, the South, maybe that's harsh, I don't know. The Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Yeah, look, they never um, quite live up to expectations, do they? I think they always get a solid roster together. Um, but they have yet to put it all together. And I get the inkling that it could be a similar scenario this season. Yeah, um, I'll be on. I, I know quite well Alan Williams. Obviously, anyone who watches the NBA would know him from his time at the Phoenix Suns. They call him Big Source. <laughs> um, but the other two imports, Trey Kell and Malcolm Bernard and Gary Brown, sorry, there's three. Uh, Kell's obviously injured. Uh, but Kell and Gary Brown, I can't say too much about them, um, really. Well, they have decent European resumes, both guys. Um but the issue from an NBL lens is we haven't really been able to see much of either of them. Um, that's been the curse of the the Phoenix so far this preseason is everyone's getting injured. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I think for this Southeast Melbourne team, they need at least one of these guys to be an elite import. And both of them seem solid. Um, they're not guys that are exceptionally prolific in any one skill. What they do seem to bring to the table there's a little bit more well-roundedness. I think both guys seem to be solid defenders as well as capable offensive threats. And that's great. But the question mark last season was a guy like Xavier Mumford. They felt that they couldn't go to him down the stretch. And I'm not sure that it's going to be a different scenario this time around. Yeah. And both of these guys, you'd also say maybe lack a bit of the size for a, a, an NBL guard, right? Like the where the league is right now. Yeah, the, the threshold for that's definitely gone up um, when you look at the imports around the league. Um, again, I, I think they can be capable. I think they... Cal in particular seems like a really good shooter. He does have a little bit more size there at that two spot. Brown is yet to be seen. Um, again, I think he showed flashes, but he wasn't particularly effective in advance of the injury that he got in preseason. Um, so the jury is really out. But my biggest question mark, really, and you mentioned big source before, Alan Williams, um, he was a, always an unusual fit in this Southeast Melbourne front court. Someone that has struggled with foul issues during preseason as well. We know that's something that NBL bigs take a while to acclimatize to. Mm-hmm. Now they've gone and brought in Joe Chi. And I'm really puzzled with how that's going to fit with Alan Williams and whether he even sticks around the entire season, given those fit issues. 
Do, do you reckon they signed Williams thinking Joe wasn't coming back then? Well, it sounds like they always at least kept the door open for Joe Chi to come back. Um, yeah. If that was the case, then I don't think it was incredibly wise to pick him up. But with that being said, if Chi didn't come, then they really needed a five. Their only other five was Dane Pinot, um, and they needed someone with that size. If anything, Allen was small for a five. Um, you know, again, he's one of those guys that's a bit of a bruiser, and even though he is undersized, he's someone that is not particularly modern in terms of his skill set either. You know, he's a rebounder. He's an interior player. Yes. Uh, and that ultimately is the issue with Chi and the connection there is that both guys want to be in the paint. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like a risk. It's going to end well because obviously one of, you can't start both of them. That's non-negotiable. So, you know, one of them is going to have to come off the bench, most likely Williams, you'd think. And then it's a question of, well, is this really the best use of your import slot? Because A, you can obviously get a new import, but also with show you've effectively got a fourth import for free with that Asian player provision. So do they just look to cut bait themselves before it gets to a problem and maybe bring in a, a wing or something? Because especially when you look at the injuries to to Ryan Brockoff as well, um, you know, we don't know what his health is going to be like long-term as well. Yeah, um, Brockoff, not just in terms of his injuries, but also, you know, his form has been up and down since he came to the NBL. And I think if you look at this roster on paper right now, they have a abundance of talent at the five. So you've got Chi, you've got Williams, and you've also got Dane Pinot, who I think has ended up going a little bit underappreciated and underutilized since he came back to health. Um, so I would like to see Pinot slide into that backup five spot and I think a great outcome for them would be if they're able to swap Williams with maybe like a combo forward to sort of fill out those minutes at the three and the four. Um, I'm not particularly enamored with Ruben, Ruben Tarangi or Grant Antisovic as above average rotation players right now. Um, I think that's a position that could be upgraded. Um, and so if you could bring in a guy, as you said, maybe at the three, maybe at the wing um, to be some insurance for Brockoff if he's injured, but also to provide that depth at the three and the four, then I think um, it just balances out the roster a lot more. And and we know about guys like Adnam and Ruben Tarangi, Mitch Creek, Dane Pinot. Um But Junior Madut is a new guy as well. I don't know how much he's actually going to play this year, but I've seen some nice things written about him as well. I really love Junior Madut. Had a great uh, career once he got to Hawaii. He's a guy that is super athletic, uh, really tenacious defender, especially on the ball. And I think that's something that Southeast have really um, made a point of emphasis in their recruiting. Uh, so, you know, he fits in perfectly in that regard. And then offensively, he's a shot maker. He's a guy that can drive in and, and rise above the rim and finish. He's going to be a spectacular dunker at times. Um, but he's also a guy that can shoot the three and shoot off the dribble as well. Um, so as a second unit player, I thought that was a really savvy pickup. Do, do you reckon he's more of a signing for the future though? Like, do you think he's going to have much of a role this year? I, I think he will. I think he'll be in the rotation this year. I think he's going to be a positive rotation player from day one. And just to title in, I think Phoenix have maybe the, the best name in the entire competition in Ansac Rosetto. 
<laughs> Anzac Rosetto, it's a fantastic one. And he's he's a fantastic young player. Um, out of New Zealand, had a good season with the Franklin Bulls, if I remember correctly. Um and take your word for it. Perfect. Um <laughs> and he's um he's someone that he's a he's a real bruiser. He's a tough kid. Um, comes from a very interesting background. And there were multiple teams chasing his signature. So it's really fantastic to see him in the league. And um, yeah, more more New Zealanders in the league, I think, is always a fantastic thing as well. And finally, to the last non-playoff team from last year, breaking a tradition of <laughs> what was it? Close to forty years, over forty years. What what was it? Uh, yeah, it was. I think it was like thirty-five or something like yeah, that. Either way, too yeah. Long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, the Perth Wildcats. Um, yeah, they look to have rebounded quite nicely this off-season. They obviously have the benefit of a now newly drafted Luke Travers coming back, which I may look, maybe I'm completely missing the point. Maybe that was always the plan. Um, but yeah, like that's always a nice bonus, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, you look at Luke and how he's come back and um, carried himself in this NBL blitz. He looks like a different player, not in terms of his skill set, but just in terms of the confidence. Um you know, I, th- I think he's been drafted. He's, you know, he's feeling a certain way about himself. And <laughs> he's come back and he's ready not just to be a contributor, but to be like one of the pillars of this Perth team. And I'm so excited for that. I'm surprised they didn't try and stick him through as a DP again. <laughs> that wouldn't be too bad. Look, I think they're um they're going to get away with enough, especially if Bryce's uh, citizenship comes through, which, um you know, we've been saying for the last, you know, century. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it is to finally come through, it sounds like it's on its way, but potentially, um, then I think they're getting enough concessions there. They probably don't need Travis as a DP as well. What <laughs> <laughs> was that always the plan though for him to come back as a stash? Yeah, that that was my understanding. I think that was probably the underlying appeal to drafting him in, in some way as well for teams. Um, because it's not someone that you immediately had to sign to the roster and, and there's some benefit to that. Um but yeah, it works out really well for all parties. I think it's Perth is obviously a fantastic organization to develop as a young player. Um, Luke loves it there, hometown kid. It just works out perfectly. And I think Luke was not at a level where he'd be able to step on an NBA court and contribute just yet. No. He's one that would have been just chucked in the G League. So, um, you know, for Australian fans, it's great that we get to keep him in Australia. It's great for the Perth Wildcats because they get to keep this guy that, you know, is going to be one of their better players this season um, and then Cleveland get to see him develop and then bring him over when he's ready. So it's just a win-win. Now we, we can speak about Bryce Cotton all we want, but I think the only real note for Bryce Cotton is MVP favorite. Yeah. I, I look again, I had these predictions the other week with the NBL and I actually put Rajon on Tucker. So um, when I saw Bryce come out of the gates and have, what was it? 38 points or something in that, preseason game thought maybe i've eaten my words here maybe i had a bit of voter fatigue you know we're so used to bryce just being the best player in this league um and sometimes it's easy to forget that so i watched that game and i thought you know what maybe he is the mvp favorite so i'm gonna i'm gonna change my mind i'm gonna say bryce (laughs) now there are the two imports i think perth had a bit of an unlucky season with their imports last year with uh michael frazier and you know, the second year syndrome, Vic Law. But when, and if if you've watched college basketball for about 
five minutes in the last six years, you'll know who Brady Manick is from UNC. He's a, a big time signing. Yeah, Brady's really good. And I think it speaks to Perth's recruiting that he's kind of like the only guy that hasn't really hit his stride yet for Perth. Um, but that still gives you a lot of confidence because Brady's a guy that had a fantastic college career. I think his offensive arsenal was pretty clear. Um, and he's a smart player as well, which is going to fit into Perth's offense. You know, they're getting their big set, make lots of decisions this season. Thomas being the other import big uh, is a guy that can pass really well as well. So I think those guys are going to play off of each other really well. The only question for Manic is, is he going to be able to guard anybody? Because he's not the most athletic guy. Um, I think that could cause some issues at some points, but I think more than anything, they needed a second offensive guy to give Bryce some relief, and I think Manic can be that. Yeah, and if there's any team in the league where Brady Manic doesn't look out of place and utterly ridiculous, it's probably next to Luke Travers. I actually think he looks more Australian than most of the Australian players in the league. 100%. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's a perfect fit for the NBL. I love it. You'd find him at a random truck stop in, I don't know, like Karatha or Kalgoorlie or something, somewhere out there in the West. Yeah, no, Perth Perth fans are going to love him. (laughs) I I think a really interesting signing for Perth, though, was bringing bringing Corey Webster back to the league. And he left the league in, let's say, shadowy circumstances (laughs) um, a a year ago now. Um, But him coming back almost the Bryce Cotton before Bryce Cotton. So to have him either as their starting other guard or their six man, whatever they decide to do with him, just another layer, really. Yeah, it was a funny signing on so many levels. I mean, a lot of people alluded to his previous signing with Perth a number of years ago as well, where he didn't end up in Perth. Um, But he's here and he's been wearing a Wildcats uniform. Um, So I actually think it was a really good signing. Now, is he the perfect fit alongside a guy like Cotton? Maybe not. As you mentioned, they're sort of um, like-for-like in many ways, their skill sets. You know, at this point in Corey's career, it's fair to say that he's kind of like a poor man's Bryce in many respects in terms of that undersized combo shot creator. Uh, But if you look at who was on the market at the time, Perth clearly needed another guard. There weren't really many other NBL-level guards running around. Corey's on the table. I mean, you've got to take Corey, right? He's a very talented player. We know what he can do in this league. He came to the New Zealand NBL in the offseason. He had a fantastic offseason there. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's a fantastic fit. Just gives them another creator, another offensive guy to uh, alleviate some of the load a little bit. Uh, and I think he's going to be really helpful in that regard, even though there are some flaws in terms of the defense uh, and the fit alongside other guys there. And I guess the final note for the Wildcats is they obviously had a relatively unhappy year considering under Scott Morrison, but John really, a legend of the game in Australia, comes in as their new head coach and I, I guess a new direction. Yeah, you, you listen to John speak and I think he's such an inspirational coach in terms of his philosophies and his principles. I think if there was any perception that Scott Morrison were, went away from what made Perth so fantastic, you know, under Trevor Gleeson, um, then John really is definitely a return to that. And I don't think that Scott Morrison was a bad coach, but I think John really um, is sort of coming back to a lot of the things that Gleeson did right. 
some people have mentioned that um, they're running a lot more flex actions in their offense now, which is where we've seen Bryce at his best. And I think that's a, a fantastic development. I think he has a great emphasis on things like rebounding um, with a, a different take and philosophical take on um, rebounding versus getting back and running that Scott Morrison did. Um, and, you know, he seems like the sort of guy, just in terms of his temperament and the way that he speaks, that he's going to get the most out of this team. And if they lose, it's not going to be for a lack of effort. This team's going to play the right way. They're going to play hard. And, you know, it's a team that you're going to want to get around. Absolutely. Now, let's. I'm going to go a little bit different here. We'll start with the teams that got knocked out in the first week of the finals. So we'll start with the Illawarra Hawks. And outside of the, their two new imports, a, a pretty settled group. A pretty settled group. You know, we know what we're getting out of a Sam Froling, a young player that's improving for sure, but we know what he brings to the table. Uh Deng Deng, it feels like he almost never left. I know he had the season in Brisbane. He had a great season as well. And a bit of a, a, a trade with Froling then. A bit of a trade with Froling. And I think, personally, I think that's a win for Illawarra. If you're trading Harry Froling for uh, for Deng, I think Deng is the better player in that scenario. So I think they've done well there. And then, you know, you've got guys like a Colder Gack and Tyler Harvey, of course, returning. Greta, we hope, gets healthy at some point. Um, but they got some really interesting new pieces, and I'm I'm curious to see how it all fits together. Yeah, well, I want to start with, I guess, my favourite son from last season for the Kings, making the trip down, Wani Swakala Bullock, a, a real, I think, um, really big get for the Hawks, especially when you consider, and he's not on the same level defensively as Antonius Cleveland, but when you consider losing him and then picking up one of the, a key starter from your fiercest rivals, that's only considered a win. Yeah, the Hawks really wanted Wani. And I mean, it was clear, I think he's one of the first guys signing free agency. So he was someone that they clearly targeted. Uh, they wanted him at the three. And from Wani's perspective, I know that he spoke about wanting to expand what he could show on the offensive end as well. Now, wanting to do that is one thing. He obviously had a very clearly defined role on that. Uh, winning Kings team. Um, the question mark is whether he's able to do more and able to do that effectively at this stage in his career. I think he's still a guy that um, is going to be limited offensively. And, you know, I think he should maintain his focus on that defensive presence because he was so good at that for the Kings. Um, and while it is a drop from having an import like Cleveland, I think he will able to be able to fill that role to, you know, 80% of its capacity on the defensive end. Um, you know, which obviously allowed the Hawks to go into a different direction with their imports and and get in, you know, some other options at different positions. So I think it was a great signing. Yeah, and I'm looking at the imports that they've got, and Justin Robinson is another point guard, and George King, a, a wing type. So I'm looking at the the center rotation, and is this the season we finally get to see a Calder Gak proper minutes? Uh, it, look, it's possible, but I don't want to get ahead of myself because I think we're ultimately going to see Froling at the five. We're, we've got Mango Mathiang at the five as well. Um, and I think Gak will just slide in, you know, pending injuries. Um, now, I think a Calder is, is close to, to performing at this level. We, his tools are obvious. He's probably the best athlete on the team. Um but he's going to have to earn those minutes because, as I said, there is some depth in the front court there. 
very interested to see what Mango Mathiang brings to the table. He's someone that was out for a long time, uh, broken leg, I, I recall, um, which is, you know, pr- pretty rough for a guy of his size. But he's someone who's really well conditioned, had some really fun games filling in in NBL 1 for Casey. Uh, and he's looked really good in, in preseason as well. I think he's someone that, um, as the season goes on in particular, is going to start playing more and more minutes and having a really influential role for them because we know what his background was, a guy that has spent a little bit of time in the NBA, has had some good seasons in Europe. Um, and, you know, he's a guy, if you took out the injuries, would probably be a starter for any NBL team uh, if he was to have been picked up. You, you can say a little bit of time in the NBA again, four games. I just looked him up while you were speaking. Um but it, when you look at Matiang, I was going to bring him up next. When he came out of Louisville, he was kind of like one of the jewels in Australia's like uh, stable at that time. And then he getting into the NBA with the Charlotte Hornets. Now he didn't last long in there. He was mainly in the G League that season. But he was considered a really talented center prospect, you know, alongside guys in that era like Thon Maker. And then obviously the injuries have kind of slowed him down. So I'm really hopeful to see him have a bounce back season because he is another guy a bit like Dengadel the year before. Um, Sorry, not Dengadel, Joel Breath. Uh, another guy that can maybe get his way back into the national team conversation. Yeah, he was definitely in the conversation um, in terms of the Boomers front court. It's you know pretty open right now, especially when you think post Aaron Baines, post Andrew Bogut, you know, once you know, someone like Baines retires, you know, you've got Jock Landale, but then it's pretty open season. We have a lot of good bigs. Um, you know, you're seeing how guys like Isaac Humphrey respond from injury, guy like Mango Mathiang respond from injury, how Thon Maker's going to go in Asia, Jopareth. Like, there's so many guys that you could list off as potential depth in the front court there. And I think Mango, if he can return to the player that he was, it would definitely be in that conversation. Um, I don't know anything about George King. I was going to put it out there, but he looks like a, <laughs> a, a, a another smaller, like a wing type. So that's three imports that are all going to play, you know, guard forward. Yeah, I think you know, and this only really occurred to me as we've gone through these teams. But I think there's a growing trend of teams going smaller at the four. Now, I think. Swakala Bullock's going to be that starter at the three, and then King's going to play the four there. Now he's six seven, maybe six eight. Um, bit of a combo forward in that regard. Um, he's really versatile. He's someone that plays both ends, does a little bit of everything. Um, not going to be a high volume offensive option, but I think he's going to be a really capable player. Now we haven't seen him through much of the blitz. I think he spent some time going back to the US. Um, but I'm really curious to see what he brings to the table. I think what's interesting about this Illawarra Hawks team, not just with King, but with Robinson as well, is, again, a smaller market, smaller budget team um, that you would imagine would rely heavily on imports. They have gone for guys, and this this isn't a reflection of their ability, but these guys were not actually high budget level signings. They were reasonably... Uh, budget savvy and when you consider that I think the signing of King and the signing of Robinson were really exceptional yeah and Robinson 
played for about 17 different teams in the NBA last year because of all the COVID outs. Um, but he's a really capable backup point guard. Sorry, well, point guard, but I don't know what his role is going to be on this Hawks team with Tyler Harvey. It's kind of a two-for-one deal in that scenario, even down to the fact that they're both left-handed. But I, I've seen Robinson play now, and I, I think he's he's quite aggressive on offense, and he can really shoot the three. Maybe not as good a facilitator, and maybe that's where they get stuck because you know Harvey, for as good as he is, his strength is also in his scoring. But I think if nothing else, you're going to have a really high volume punch from that backcourt. Well, if you remember back to last offseason, the Hawks actually initially signed Travis Trice. Now, that's a guy in a similar mold, uh, high-level scorer, a bit undersized, not necessarily you know, a fantastic defender, but a guy that could score and facilitate at a really high level. Um, so I think they've always had that vision in mind. And you look at what Robinson's done so far. He obviously has some NBA experience behind him. But I think in the Blitz, he was probably one of the most impressive imports that I saw. Uh, you know, I think it's clear that he's going to be a really strong import in this league. Uh, been a bit more geared towards the scoring aspect, maybe in preseason. But he is a guy that has shown in other settings throughout his basketball career that he can really facilitate it as well. Uh, so I think that combination with Harvey is actually going to work out really well. Be interesting. They are smaller on the defensive side of the ball, um, but I think offensively it's going to be a really great fit, and that's where the crux of their offensive firepower is going to come from. And finally, on the coaching, obviously Gorge sadly departs, but it means Jacob Jacomas gets his shot after a million years as an assistant. Yeah, I mean, some pretty big shoes to fill. Um, it's hard hard to follow up Gorge, and we saw what trying to follow up um, Trevor Gleeson was for Scott Morrison last season. It's not, not an easy position to be in. Um, but Jacob is a guy that it seems like everyone in the organization has a lot of faith in. It's quite well regarded. And I guess we're going to have to see what he brings to the table, whether he he's sort of an extension of what Gorge brought, given that he was an assistant under him or whether he comes in with his own philosophy a bit more. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very tough situation to be in. And um you know, the, it's it's always hard as well with it with a team like the Hawks um, that you know have to to scrape it out to um, you know be relevant year after year. Okay, now Melbourne United. I think we have to start really with the unfortunate news about Ariel Hookporty, right? Super disappointing. Obviously, Ariel had some fantastic flashes last year. Really fun player, and seems like a really fun guy as well. Really good guy that everyone loved around the organization so it's um it's really shattering you know it's he, he made the decision to stay an extra year to help boost his stocks and you know he must have felt you know absolutely terrible when that injury occurred knowing that that you know jeopardizes his entire draft campaign for the next 12 months now i guess if you can look at a silver lining you know they went through a similar situation with jack white so they know how to go through that process with him and Jack obviously was able to bounce back, be an even better player when he came back, and now he's playing for the Denver Nuggets. So we can only hope that Ariel has a similar trajectory in terms of his recovery and career from then on. Um, but it's a big blow for Ariel, and it's obviously a big blow for United as well. And you see the vision, the immediate look around, and then the, the realization that no one's that like no one's kicked him, like the 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 classic symptom of a 
other than Achilles. I think Vasilievich had the same thing as well when he did his a couple of years ago. I mean, the, I, I find it hard-pressed to think of a worse injury that you can sustain as a basketball player, right? Like, it's such a brutal one to deal with and such a long recovery process. You just hope that, you know, he's will come back to 100%, especially as a young guy like that that's really only scratched the surface of his career. Yeah. Now, uh, happier news. Um, the imports that they've brought in, three brand-new imports, they all look pretty good. Yeah, I mean, Rajon Tucker's the guy that I love. Um, he is someone that has done some amazing stuff in the G League. You only have to look up a few minutes of his highlights to see what he's capable of from an athletic standpoint. But he is more than an athlete. He's someone that plays both ends of the court. Obviously, a sensational slasher, but he can shoot a little bit as well. Um, so I find him to be incredibly well-rounded. I think he's someone that you know will be in contention for NBL first team. As I said, not too long ago, I had him as my MVP pick. So I think which really you've now hard. been scared out of. I've been scared out of it, but you know he's he's still close. You know, if it still happens, I'm still claiming it. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the only issue I have with his signing within the scope of United and their roster is I feel like they have spacing issues again. He's he's great, but he's not a shooter. And we know Chris Golding, you know, does his thing, but outside of that. I think they could have had a little bit more emphasis on that. I think that's my issue with the Caroline signing. Um, that felt like they were trying to one-for-one one place Jack White and what he brings to the table. And obviously Jack White was great, but I think that was a, also a great opportunity to bring in maybe a stretch four, someone that can space the floor a little bit more for them. Um, so I do have some some issues with the Caroline signing, but he does bring his own things to the table. Very strong rebounder and defensive presence. And then you've got Xavier Rathan Mays coming in at point guard. Now, I expect him to back up Shea Ely. I think Ely deserves that starting spot. Um, again, another shot creator. Um, I think that addresses one of their needs. Um, but I wasn't totally enamored with his impact for the Illawarra Hawks last season. No, neither was I. No. And, I mean, Illawarra clearly went because they decided to go in a different direction. So, you know... He's going to bring some things to the table, but whether that could have been a spot that was more utilized elsewhere, I think I'm a little bit skeptical about that one as well. Yeah, I watched Raton Mays, especially in the fight, uh, the the first round series against the Kings, and um, yeah, very volatile offensive presence off the bench. You know, quite shot happy and. When it's not falling, and he's not much of a three-point shooter either, so his shot profile is sort of limited to mid-range and in. Um, and as we all know, that the look, the analytics hate the mid-range. You know, if you're if you're a real hooper, then you don't really care about that. But um, the the fact that he's, you know, his bread and butter is, you know, he, inefficiency almost. It, it it's a real, like you said, I I wasn't too impressed. He's a fine player, but I, I wouldn't have been rushing to keep him if I was the Hawks. And then on the same token, I wasn't rushing to get him in if I was another team in the league. It's just a little bit surprising because you know you know what situation Melbourne have. They have so much flexibility in terms of uh, what they can afford to get in terms of import players. Um, to see them sort of rehash a guy that a, you know, a lower budget team you know wanted to move on from, from it just, just struck me as a little bit unusual. And, you know, I, I get the fit on some levels. Um, 
and look, I enjoy watching him play as well. He's he's got a lot of tricks in his bag. He's a very talented player. But you mentioned the shot profile. Um, I think sometimes his presence on the court can detract from the team game as well in some respects. Um, you know, I I just think it could be better served with um, you know, someone that was a little bit more of a role player. You particularly when you look at United's depth this season. Um, they're a little bit more spread out this year. They're going to rely on guys like McQuatch, Malawatch, um, David Barlow, um, that is now back from retirement. Probably going to lean on guys like David Aquare and Mason Petling a little bit more, especially with Huck Porty out, depending on what they do with him as well. Um, so when you consider all these needs throughout the depth of the roster, I feel like having a guy like Xavier Rathamay only addresses some of what are many points of need for this roster this season. Yeah, and a bit like Illawarra, rest of the roster fairly settled, especially from a local sense. But they do bring in Isaac Humphreys, which he's already in trouble for making fun of officials. But other than that, after a pretty disappointing couple of years in Adelaide, a real chance for him to get back to show the, showing what he really is. I don't know how much people remember about Isaac in his first year at Adelaide, but man, he was on an MVP level tear. Like he was incredible. His defensive presence was through the roof. He looked like someone I thought was going to be a lock for that Boomer squad. Um, so it's been a quite a couple of years for him, but he's looking healthy. We all saw the backflip. <laughs> um, and uh, now it's just a case of him working back up to game conditioning and a feel for the game again. That's um easily overlooked when you have that much time off but you know i, I guess the and, and another silver lining with the huck Porty absence is that isaac's going to have all the time in the world to to get his legs under him and and get back to the player that he was a couple of seasons ago and if he can do that then you know that's um crisis averted really for melbourne <laughs> United. and david barlow a little bit of smoke and mirrors about his retirement a little bit of maybe some dark arts employed uh, a handshake retirement to try and do something else. And then if it didn't work or, you know, whatever, he comes back. I was just somewhat surprised that he decided to go out of his way to announce it when he knew that things were a little bit in limbo. Um, it sounded even at the time that he was, you know, he was ready to jump back in and put lace them up again if the um, opportunity arose. Uh, but look, it's it's great. It's great that um, the position's still there. He clearly still has the fire. And, you know, I thought he looked pretty good in, in preseason as well. I thought he, he still got it. So, you know, veteran presence is always welcome. You know, he's one of those um, those guys, those leaders on that United squad. And, you know, I think he's still got something to give out there as well. Now on to our first grand finalists from last year, the Tasmania Jack Jumpers. Now... Obviously, I live in Hobart, so and Hobart's not a big place. But if anything to go by, so last year I saw Mikhail McIntosh out in the wild in a in a lunch place, and I've already seen Rashad Kelly frequenting the cafes of West Hobart. So I feel sorry for the year he's about to have. <laughs> yeah, look, you, you know what? I actually quite like Kelly. I think he's going to be an upgrade on McIntosh. They're very different players. Um. But McIntosh is a guy, 
came in to score the ball and he didn't do it efficiently. So. He was a guy that you could have left it at that. Really, he was he, a guy. He was a guy. <laughs> um, and Kelly's also a guy, but I think he's a better guy, and he's a guy that you know brings a little bit more athleticism to the table. Um, looked has looked really good in preseason. I, I think these really fit the part. Um, Josh Majette, obviously we know what he can do, but then Milton Doyle comes in. He, you know, has the big shoes to fill of being. Uh, Josh Adams' replacement. Now, Josh Adams obviously went nuclear to end the season. Um, you know, that's what is fresh in everyone's memories. But it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows throughout the entirety of the season. You know, I think there were times where his individualistic shot creation um, was to the ire of Coach Scott Roth a little bit. Um you know, especially when those shots aren't dropping, it can be a little bit hot and cold um, in terms of its impact on the team. And while I think Josh Adams was fantastic and I wish he was able to come back, I think Milton Doyle is a very good player in his own right and he's going to be able to provide maybe a little bit more of a defensive presence than Josh. He's going to play within the team structure a little bit more um, and he still is able to provide a level of shot making um, and shot creation um, that this Tassie team desperately need. And other than that, it's a very settled cast of locals. They've brought back pretty much the entire band from last year. You know, Matt Kenyon, Jack McVeigh, Chris Levick, Bairstow, Sam McDaniel, Jared Weeks, Clint Steindl. But I think the big key for them is going to be uh, Will Magne this year and how, if he, his health and, you know, because if he's healthy, he's one of the more exciting centers in the league. Yeah, that's a game changer for Tazzy. I think it was really encouraging to hear that his timeline is ahead of schedule. It sounded at some point that he may not be back at all this coming season, which is pretty scary because it's been a while since we've seen him. Uh, but yeah, if he is able to slot into that front court, then he makes the world of difference. We know what he brings on the defensive end. Um, very athletic presence that they don't have otherwise in the front court as well. So I think that he could be the the difference between them making finals or not we've seen that you know they always overachieve and extend themselves obviously they were a massive surprise packet last season uh and but they've come out in even in pre-season and they're doing the same thing they've always done to teams just playing hard annoying them and winning games they have no right to win so um that's great i feel like it'll only get them so far doing the same thing they did last season though and Having just that extra talent like a Will Magne is what's going to get him over the line there. there is. I remember listening to a podcast this time last year that was saying Tazzy were just effort merchants that had no talent. And <laughs> we, we saw how that turned out. Those two looked silly. Oh, look, that that um, that might as well have been me. because uh, <laughs> Yes, that, it was us. Yes, it was us. I thought it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> but um, look, you, look I, I mean, all credit to him. But I think, and maybe this is a little bit um, controversial to say, but I think a lot of things fell really well in their favour for them to get as far as they did. And, you know, that's in the name name of the game. It's not to put an asterisk mark um, next to their achievements last season, but in terms of them being able to replicate what they did and do it again this season, I felt like they needed to just add a few more elements to the 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 recipe there um and i mean you can't fault a team that went runners up for running it back and bring the same roster more or less 
Um, but yeah, I, I just come back with a similar level level of cynicism, which I'm <laughs> forward to be proven wrong uh, in the not too distant future. <laughs> And maybe I'm the only person who gets excited about development player signings, but Isaac White coming from Illawarra. Yeah, well, I mean, that's essentially a regular signing under the um the DP guys. So I think that was a fantastic pickup. I think it was a great move for the NBL to allow previously ineligible candidates to be able to sign back on DP deals, assuming that they're still under the DP age limit. Um, you know, it's only fair to get them their opportunities and Isaac White is a guy that, you know, was just pushed out and squeezed out a little bit in terms of, you know, a rotation spot in the NBL. Um, but that DP eligibility means that he's able to jump in and provide some really serviceable minutes because he was pretty good for Illawarra. Um, and he's had a really good preseason for Tassie as well. He's someone that can can shoot it, very energetic, um, great conditioning. So he's going to be able to provide some some valuable guard minutes for Tassie as well. And now the champions from last season. And obviously the price of success is money and driving up the value of all your players. So the Sydney Kings have obviously lost all three of their championship imports from a year ago. Well, technically four, if you can't RJ Hunter, but they've lost all three of their imports from a year ago. And all things considered, I think they've done all right. I'm pretty happy with their roster. I actually picked them to run it back and go back to back this season. And I think that it's not the uh, the same perspective that a lot of people have. I think most people look at just the immense import talent that Sydney had last season and the fact that it is inevitably a drop-off. I mean, um, you know, it's hard to go from Jarrell Martin and, and Jalen Adams and, and guys like that um, and expect them to be able to replicate that from a recruiting standpoint. But the guys that they have brought in are still really good. Uh, Derek Walton Jr. is very tenured over in the States is, is a guy that comes in with a great reputation and I think will be one of the best point guard imports in the league. Uh, Justin Simon came in. We know how he was with Illawarra a couple of seasons ago. You know, he was Antonius Cleveland before Antonius Cleveland. <laughs> um, and he, he replicated the same thing in Germany the season after when he left as well. He's someone who is one of the West best wing defenders outside of the NBA. Um, and he's going to be able to have that similar presence for Sydney this season. Tim Suarez is an interesting one. I don't think he's as strong as the other two, but he goes and helps address a need uh, that otherwise would be an extremely sore spot for this roster, and that's spacing. Um, It's my only real concern with the Kings this season. Um, And it's only really because you have Justin Simon and you have Xavier Cooks. Um, it, that's a tough partnership to coexist with. Both guys essentially non-shooters, um, but they've done their best to surround those guys with some guys that can shoot it. We know Dejan Vasiljevic, big-time shooter. Um, Tim Suarez, being able to get a stretch five helps that case a lot. And then Derek Walton can shoot it as well. So I think they've gone some way to addressing that concern, but um, at the end of the day, Simon and Cook's as prolific as it's going to be on defense, um, it is going to cause some offensive disruptions. And that would be my only real concerning element for this Kings team. Yeah, Walton's already the bookies second favorite for MVP behind uh, Bryce Cotton. And Justin Simon's already said all the right things about being on the right side of the New South Wales rivalry. Um, 
I do wonder though how important the return of what was assumed to be a key piece a year ago in Jordan Hunter, how that helps alleviate the loss of Gerald Martin, especially when you bring in Suarez as well. Yeah, I think it goes a long way. I think we forget how great he was the season before last. I think he's someone, you know, it's going to come in and be an above average backup, um, assuming he's back to where he was prior to the injury. Um, but it is kind of give some, take some a little bit because they also lost McCaw Maker. And McCaw is a guy that came along immensely as the season went on. I think we saw him buy in and, you know, it's obviously eventuated in a in a role with the uh, Washington Wizards in the NBA. Um, so, you know, they ha- they have lost talent. There's no doubt about that. But I think Jordan Hunter um, will go a long way to helping replace some of that. Yeah, and I mean, it's always, I guess, a, a bittersweet thing for the league and for these championship teams. You put McCool Maker into the NBA, you you get Jerome Martin a deal with the best team in Israel. You get Jalen Adams a team with a a deal with a really, really good team in Serbia in, a, in Red Star. So, you know, as, as hurt much as it hurts to lose all these guys, it's kind of the whole point of the league as well. Um, Derek Walton, I, I've seen him for the last few years. I don't think he's... I think what people don't realize with Jalen Adams was how good he was defensively as well as, you know, being a star with the ball in his hands. Um, I think Walton can do a lot of the things that Adams can do as well, but maybe at about 90% of the effectiveness, which, I mean, that's still a pretty damn good player. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. He's really well-rounded. Doesn't have the same um, proclivity to make shots, you know, with such spectacular results. Um, (laughs) Adams did, but he was just next level. Um, Taking the uh the NBL moniker there, but um <laughs> even um even Jalen Adams, like he just had the, that immense athleticism that is not easily replicated as well. Derek Walton's a little bit more ground bound, so I think they're two major points of difference. But you know, scoring, facilitating, I mean, he's up there. He's going to be fantastic. I think if you go through the league, um, it's I, I find it hard to pick one. You know, maybe Robinson and Illawarra, um. It's probably the only other guard that I'd sort of have in that same stratosphere, really. Yeah, game on the line. I'm not sure Walton's posterizing anyone. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, you could get a thousand different players try and um, try and do what Jalen did in that game, and I think you'd be hard pressed to to find somebody that could do that. That was absolutely nuts. <laughs> um, now the other locals on the team like their, their rotation's pretty settled i think angus glover and sean bruce are some key guards off the bench i wonder how bawali bales does this season because like, i thought when he came on last season he did really well and i think there was a little bit of frustration at times with what sean bruce was providing um so it'll be interesting to see like bruce was great in the finals don't get me wrong but i wonder how big a step forward bales will take this year in the role as well yeah, they've got a few different options at point guard this time around in terms of their depth. I mean, Sean Bruce is a guy, obviously has that veteran reputation. Um, so it'll be interesting to see just where he's at in his career this season. Uh, but they have some guys that are, are ready to step in. You mentioned Bawali Bales. I think he's a guy that is, you know, exceptionally shifty off the dribble. He's a guy that can make shots and change a game with his pace and energy. They also have Jackson McCoy. Um, he's another guard that uh, got signed in the offseason as a DP. 
And he had a really good preseason. He's someone that played a season in Europe at a lower level. He did really well. He's playing with Kwani Kwani, another former king. And um, he's come in now. He plays point guard, but he's like six foot five. So he uses that size to really get into the teeth of def- the defense, create plays in the pick and roll. Um, and I think Bales and, and McCoy will really fight out those point guard minutes for the Kings. I think they have a couple of other guys that are starting to emerge as well. You've got Jalen Galloway. I think he might start to be ready for some minutes as well. Um, same age as, as Bawali on the wing there. He had a great NBL one campaign. And um, then they've got Quite Noy as well, which I think was a really uh, smart pickup, you know, obviously on the cheap there, but we know what sort of upside he brings when he's healthy. So I think they have made some subtle additions to their roster, but all these guys have a chance to make an impact. You've, you've just absolutely stolen my next two talking. <laughs> my <laughs> next two. I was literally going to bring up Jalen Galloway and Quart Noy. Um, Galloway has been on the roster for a couple, a few years now as a DP, but it, it's kind of accepted that this year is his year to really stake a claim for that rotation spot. Yeah, I think he's ready for it. I think he has some clear tools um, in his toolbox there. He's someone really that has NBA size and athleticism um, positionally. You know, I think the fact that you were able to combine that with some high-level spot-up shooting, um, <laughs> he he almost reminds me a little bit of how Mojave King was touted to be. Now, we obviously know that Mojave um, has, you know, had his struggles early in his professional career, but these guys actually have a lot of parallels in terms of a guy that, you know, maybe doesn't do heaps off the dribble, um, but just in terms of that 3 and D role and, and an athletic one at that, um, they both bring a lot of those traits to the table. So I think Jalen is primed to fight for minutes with guys like Angus Glover, um, quite Noy on the wing there. Um, he He's incredibly talented, and I think like Mojave, he might have a chance in the long term of making some small... NBA chatter over the next few years. And then obviously Quart Noy kind of fell apart for him at Cairns later on in his tenure there, but we, we know what he can do. And I think for a, a cheap signing to come off the bench for a championship level team, uh, you can do a lot worse with an established NBL wing. Yeah, well, Noy just needs to get healthy and stay healthy. I think you know, sometimes a bit of a struggle because he plays so aggressively, you know, he's someone that just crushes the boards relentlessly. Um, and that's a big part of what makes him effective. But there were reports that he'd lost a bunch of weight this off season. He was in really good shape. And if he's able to stay in that shape um, and as well, hit the three at a higher mark as well. I'd like to seek that because that's something that he did at TCU at a really high level during college. Um, if he's able to hit the boards, stay healthy, play as athletically as his body allows, um, then this is a guy that they've picked up essentially like for the minimum. And, you know, he can be, you know, a starter on occasion if need be. That's how good he is. And if nothing else, this team is set up to run, which is what Chase Buford likes. When you add Justin Simon, you add Quart Noy, assuming minutes for Jalen Galloway. Obviously, the guys like Xavier Cooks and... Vasiljevic and Angus Glover, it's a team that's going to play up and down. Yeah, this is a team, I think it's like turning defense into offense is what I think about when I think about this team because Simon and Cooks, they're just so disruptive on the defensive end, you know, key steals and blocks. Um, And when you're able to translate that into transition points, that 
can service a lot of your offense. So I think that's going to be their identity this season. Right. So we did get a, a few questions in, so I'll quickly rattle through those, um, mainly jokingly, but I'm going to twist them into actual um, intelligent sounding questions. So you're welcome. Uh, first one from Maddie: How many games will the Brisbane Bullets win, and why is the answer all of them? So basically, how many games do you reckon the Bullets will win? <laughs> oh, it, you know, this is so hard. As I said, I think there's so much variance in the outcome that Brisbane could have this season. Um, I don't know how I feel about the record, but I think I feel like they're going to fall outside of the four. I think they're probably going to be sixth. What you know that that probably equates to around a 50 50 record, I reckon. I think, yeah, so sixth last year was the Phoenix at 15 and 13. There you go. I think, I think that's a pretty reasonable outcome for them. Yep. And then a similar vein of question from Jed Wells, um, one of your mob at pick and roll. Uh, I've completely shut the window. That's great, isn't it? <sighs> Sorry. Uh, it was Illawarra-related, obviously. Um, will the well, Hawks win the finals or will they sweep? Or do you think they'll concede a game? Yeah, that's a good one. Do you reckon <laughs> the Hawks will make the finals? I guess we'll rephrase it as that. Yeah, that was, that was a very objective question, Jed. Um, <laughs> I, I Look, you know, if they don't sweep, <laughs> um, then it's probably because they haven't made finals. <laughs> <laughs> no, look up. No, I think they're gonna be solid. Um, but um I don't know if they have enough this season. I like the backcourt, I like Mango, but um again, I don't think they're a top four team. I think they're gonna be fighting um on the fringes of that plane. Okay, I'm gonna loop this discussion point in then. Uh what is your top four prediction then? Okay. I think Perth Wildcats, I think they're going to have a bounce back season. I think they're there. Sydney, so Perth and Sydney. I think we have to go with Adelaide. I think they just have too much talent on paper this season not to. And then the last team, that's where I find it tricky. I think, you, honestly, you could throw in any of Southeast. You could throw in United, um, Brisbane, if things work out well for them. Um but if I had to pick, I'm, I'm going with Melbourne. Yeah, okay. I think I mostly agree. I, I think Sydney and Perth, yes. I think Adelaide, that's a good shout. I'm going to go Illawarra as my other, as my fourth, I guess, out of that group. Um, Jed, it, Jed's going to love that one. <laughs> I don't even, look, I, I refuse to give Illawarra any credit um, as a Sydney resident or the Sydney native, but it, it feels weird betting against Melbourne and then betting against Aaron Baines and Tyler Johnson. Um, I can bet against the Phoenix all day. Like they've never proven it to me. So yeah, it's an odd one. It's, it's, I think the race for, well, third down, it, if it plays out in my mind, how I think it's going to play out. I think that third through like seventh is going to be really tight. Yeah, and I think that's the brilliant thing about this league, and I think it's why I, you know, I feel totally fine with you disagreeing with me, <laughs> is that um, there's just a great level of parity in the league this year. Um, you know, it, it is really hard to pick. I don't think there's any standout teams, and as much as we've agreed on Perth Sydney, it wouldn't surprise me if they struggle and and fall to a bunch of these teams as well. That's the you know, that's how even this competition is this season. I think that's what makes for a great league. 
Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a 15-win gap between first and last this year. No, not at all. I mean, the only team that I could see sort of falling on the pay- off the pace is maybe New Zealand, maybe Cairns. Um, but even they look pretty competitive. So, yeah, no, it's it's going to be great this year, I think. Yeah, I think New Zealand being at home will at least get them a few road trip wins. Yeah, no, that there's make no mistake about it. They're not going to repeat what we saw last season from the breakers, I think. No, uh, and the last question we got in from Dylan Tricky with the moves Brisbane and Adelaide have made, is it championship or bust or given the previous seasons they've had recently, is it a pass mark simply making the top four this year? I, th- I think if you're either of those teams, you've got to be happy with top four. Um, I know for Adelaide, they've been talking championship or bust and the organisation probably do feel that way just given the fact that, you know, they've evidently splurged. They've gone all in and, you know, they want to, you know, see the fruits of their investment. So I think, you know, for Adelaide, that's probably a fair assessment. I think for Brisbane and, you know, no doubt it cost a bit to get Aaron Baines over the line as well. But I think just being able to improve and to have a competitive season is a win for them. And they, they should be really happy with that. And, but, you know, as long as there's teams like Perth and Sydney rolling around, it's hard to say championship or bust. <laughs> you know, you have to, you know, have some perspective and say that, you know, things may not always in, um, work in, out in your favour. <laughs> yeah, in a salary capped league when only four teams even get the chance to compete for the championship, it's c- considering how disappointing both of those teams were. And given the nature of the NBL, you can only have so much turnover, right? So, yeah, I, I think... Maybe top four or bust would be a fairer tagline. I like that. Yep. I think that's a good compromise. I think top four is pretty realistic. And in a league that now, you know, has the play in is is sort of more of, of more teams having a quote unquote successful season. Um, you know, I think top four is pretty pretty impressive, all things considered. I didn't even, I didn't even think about the play in. Let's talk about that for a second. Do you like it? Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about it yet, to be honest. I think I'm going to have to, obviously we, we saw it, you know, last season, but to see it play out, um, you know, in its current format um, will be interesting. I think it's nice to, you know, reward teams that are on the fringe a little bit more. But in saying that, it's sort of, uh, you know, how many people you get invite to the party, you know, like what it's got to be somewhat exclusive. <laughs> yeah. So the way it works for people that don't know, it's, Stolen from the NBA, so third versus fourth plays in a direct qualifier, and then fifth versus sixth plays in an elimination game, and then the loser of three v four plays the winner of five v six for the uh, the last spot in the playoffs. Effectively, my issue with the plane, and this I feel the same way about the NBA plane as I do about this one. It's it was a good measure for an uneven COVID season back in twenty twenty, but I think that it's a little bit dangerous to reduce effectively six months of play to one or two games of variance. That's just how I view it. Yeah. I, I think they, they love the idea of having this high stakes game and it definitely is exciting. You know, it's like having another finals game or games. Um, but I agree. I think it's, um it's pretty rough for things to come down to that. Yeah. So you look at, so in the NBA last season, the the New Orleans Pelicans, they won like 35 games and um, the Spurs even less. And they were rewarded rewarded with a chance to, to play for a, a playoff spot. And then a team like Cleveland, who 
had a really, really good start to the season and probably had done enough to make a playoffs normally. Well, they won enough games, but then they get stuck in this this higher variance situation. So I don't know. Like if I feel like I'd have a stronger opinion if my team was in it, uh, but my team sucked. But uh, in terms of just uh, in a vacuum, I, I I like the excitement that it generates. I think it's 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 extra basketball, which I'm not too upset about. But from a purity of the game point of view, I I, I can never fully buy into it. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. Ultimately, I'm I guess I'm a bit of a purist as well. I like things to be maintained the way that they are. You know, I think it's one of those things if it's not broke. Don't fix it, but I do see the um the appeal to it and, and why they're they're wanting to play around with it. And I do give kudos for the league for for trying new new things. I think it's always nice. Yeah, I think the I think the league's given itself enough credit with the way it's been run recently. They can afford to be a little bit wacky. Yeah, look, you know, throw it around. We'll we'll see how it goes, and you know, I'm sure there'll be plenty of backlash if people don't like it, and hopefully they adjust things accordingly. If so. Uh, and let, just finally, let's do some quick predictions. So MVP, you've said Tucker slash Cotton. Yeah, let's throw both in there, hey? <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit wild. Um, I, my, my extreme wild guess it, or prediction is Taj McCall. And yeah. my somewhat less wild, but still I think he deserves more credit than he's getting, is Xavier Cooks. Yep. I mean, Xavier's the best local in the league, right? And I, I think for Taj McCall... It, it's actually pretty smart because Taj is going to absolutely get the keys in cans, right? Like he's going to be charged with doing everything. Yeah. My 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 worry with Taj's MVP candidacy is you can't really give him a P to a, a guy that's won eight games all year. <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to be tough for, for Taj unless he, you know, if, but that's the thing though. If he carries cans who no one expects to probably make finals, you know, into top four, even top six, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's going to get a lot of the credit for that. Uh, defensive player of the year. Oof. Okay. Uh, look, I'm going to say Xavier Cooks, um, but I also want to throw in Cleveland and Simon. I think we both know that those guys are prolific as well. Yeah, I don't want to vote Cooks again, so I'm going to I'm gonna vote Cleveland for this one. Um, yeah. yeah, as a back-to-back. Although, like, it's a pretty boring top three, except like it's going to be everyone's top three, right? <laughs> Yeah, and um, but that goes to show how elite they are. I'm actually really curious to see how Cleveland goes versus Simon this season because Cleveland was sort of touted as this um this replica of, of Simon when he left. Um, so now we'll be able to really tangibly um compare the two and see you know which one most effective defender. It's that Spider Man meme, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly uh, right. Uh six man. Six man. Oh. He- I find the hardest thing about six man knowing who's actually going to come off the bench. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think probably look if Alan Williams sticks around, he's probably one of the the strongest players to come off the bench. Um, I think Mango Mathiang is a guy. Um, assuming he doesn't start the season um, in the starting five, I think he could be in the running there as well. Um, yeah, look, I, I think I'm going to go with Mango. I think Mango is going to be the guy for me. I, I'm going to go back to what we spoke about earlier with Adelaide, and I'm going to assume Craig Randall starts off the bench. Yep, another yeah. If he starts on the bench, then he's he's definitely a candidate for sure. Uh, what else we got? Most improved. 
Most improved. Ooh, that's interesting. I, I mean, Tanner Krebs sort of fits the bill based on what we spoke about earlier. If he can have a strong season, um, then he's up there. The question will be whether his role is, you know, substantive enough to to warrant that. Um, and then um, it might be worth looking at Cairns again. We we saw how Pinder and and um, Bull Quoll went about things last season and how they improved. Um, maybe someone there. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a bit of a tricky one. Wani Swakala Bullock could be a candidate as well. Ah, you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to cover all bases for every question, so I just leave you with nothing. Uh, well, I was gonna say Wani, and another left field one was maybe depending on his role and with Luala Chul gone and Hook Porter injured was Mason Peatling. Oh, Mason, great suggestion. Just popped into my head as well. William McDowell White, I think he was my my initial prediction. I think he's he's the guy that, you know, is probably in for the biggest role increase. Um, so yeah, he'd probably be my pick, I think. I thought of McDowell White, but I thought he was probably too good last year. But then again, he can get even better. So that's true. <laughs> uh, uh uh rookie of the year. Rookie of the year. Ooh, I, I think you have to go with Sam Wardenberg. Yeah. You know? All the hypes around him. He's the most talented guy coming in. Yeah, it's always hard to know who's eligible for rookie of the year as well. It's a bit of a murky one. Yeah, is is Travis eligible for like the fifth time? Like, <laughs> Has there ever been a back-to-back rookie of the year winner? That'd be <laughs> that would be somewhat suspicious. <laughs> um uh, and coach of the year. Coach of the year. Ooh. That's a bit of a spicy one. I think um Hmm. Um, I think uh, CJ Bruden might get a bit of love if Adelaide turn it around this year. Um, I don't think it's easy working out all the uh, the pieces they got there in Adelaide. So, yeah, I think CJ maybe. See, I'm going to go... I think John Rilly's a good shout because um, he's got the narrative of turning around Perth. Not that there's much to turn around, really. Um yeah. But also maybe Chase Buford to prove that he wasn't just a one-season wonder with a loaded team. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I think a lot of people just attribute that to the Kings being stacked. So if Chase can um, do it back-to-back, maybe he gets a little bit more credit there. It, it's always the fact like the, the best team, like the most dominant team of the season, this isn't just NBL, this is all sports. That, that, like, that coach rarely ever gets coach of the year because it's always put down to the players, right? Whereas... A team that comes like second or third that was projected to come like fourth is like, oh, this coach has dragged them up. So you you it, might as well relabel coach of the year to like overachieving team of the year. Because I think that's what people attribute to, you know, a coach's influence. Well, that, that was Scott Roth. Like that was the whole Scott Roth candidacy, right? Yeah, that's right. And I, I think at the end of the day, like it's such a hard one as well, because it's so hard as a spectator to really know how yeah. much contribute to the coach. You know what I mean? Or maybe it's a double tandem and Cairns make the top four with a Taj, uh, Taj MVP and Adam Ford, Coach of the Year. I, I actually think Adam Ford is a great shout because if you look at Adam, he's gone left to centre with pretty much everything this offseason. Like he's put together, you know, this team full of young guys. He's, you know, throwing caution in the wind and giving Taj McCall the green light. He um, picked up this really unusual third import in Scott. <laughs> Um, and even their DP pickup, um, Davey, right? Now, that's a bit of an interesting story in itself because he was a role player at the NBL one level. He literally just scouted for the most prolific offensive rebounder in NBL one and picked him up because that's what they need. Um, 
So he's doing a lot of odd things that if they work out well, he's going to get a lot of credit for. And I think if Cairns are semi-successful, Adam will get heaps of love from that. Okay, we've taken up enough of your time this afternoon. So before we let you go, is there anything you want to promote? Oh, look, as always, um, pick and roll is where it's at for Australian basketball coverage. All my writings on there as well as plenty of other fantastic writers. So check pick and roll out on socials. You can find me on Twitter as well at Michael Hoogan. Just uh, not Jed. (laughs) Not Jed. Don't worry about Jed. (laughs) Or Homer. (laughs) Uh, as always, you can find the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes. I really should write this down at some point. SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Apple, no, that's like, Stitcher, you know, wherever you can find your podcast. Google, uh, beyondthefence.com.au, leave a rating, subscribe. And other than that, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.